Good morning, Providence Church. We rejoice in the chance to worship together and what uh, a time it is to really focus on the Lord Jesus and for all of us to stay on mission. I've been uh, renewed by looking at Luke chapter 6 and really challenged at the same time by the call to true discipleship. What does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? That's what we're about here and it takes uh, a whole church family really to do that well, to build each other up, and especially in these times where there are so many questions. Uh, so we miss gathering together, and uh, but think of one another often, and may we stay moving forward for Christ's sake together. On September 13th, in two weeks' time, we have what we call Discover Providence. So we're thankful for the new families coming to our church. And we have what we, uh, I would call a high bar of membership that we really like uh, people to be involved and engaged in members of our church, not just uh, those who are, are spectators, but those who say, we really believe in the mission of this church family. So Discover Providence is the first step in that direction. So maybe you've been uh, at home some Sundays and or you know somebody that might be interested in attending that'll be after the second outdoor service on September 13th so at about 11:30 we'll have some refreshments and it's just the time it's an inquirer's lunch and so if you know of anyone who thinks yeah maybe I'm thinking about membership at Providence Church we'd love to have you there also on that date later in the afternoon just a little bit we're going to have a, a kind of football men's event as the Browns start their season so that'll be at one o'clock uh, again outside in the tent for that first Browns game. So men of all ages, uh, if you come, there'll be a cookout, just a chance to fellowship, uh, to, to enjoy this season that's uh, so special in Northeast Ohio. So both of those things, September 13th, Discover Providence, and the men's uh, football kickoff also September 13th. And in a few weeks' time, we'll have um, announcements for the ladies with their Bible studies and a special event for them. Also, as I announced last week, we're very excited. Our new website should come this week, so we'd love for you to um, look at it and uh, take advantage of it. And really, we want it to be a tool to advance the message of Jesus. So thank you, Providence Church. May we stay on mission, and uh, Pastor Ian will call us to worship. Church, good morning. We begin our time worshiping our God and Savior together with one of the prayers that Paul had for the saints in Ephesus. And Paul would pray that they might know what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward them who believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. With that, we celebrate the work of Christ on our behalf.
riches gain, I count the loss and pour contempt on all my pride.
we can have all kinds of experiences and treasures and wonderful times and on this planet for the short time that we have. And, but for the Christian, the most important of all is to learn more and to love more of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so with that, um, there are some questions from the Heidelberg Catechism that we can read together as a church, one body, one family, purchased by Christ, reading with great joy. There are slides that say leader, and where it says all, let's all read together. This chiefly about our Savior, learning of Him and loving Him more. Let's read. The first question, number 29, why is the Son of God called Jesus, meaning Savior? Let's read together. Because He saves us from our sins, and because salvation should not be sought and cannot be found in anyone else. Do those who look for their salvation in saints in themselves or elsewhere, really believe in the only Savior, Jesus? No. Although they boast of being His, by their actions they deny the only Savior, Jesus. Either Jesus is not a perfect Savior, or those who in true faith accept this Savior have in Him all they need for salvation. Why is He called Christ, meaning anointed? Because he has been ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance. Our only high priest who has delivered us by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually pleads our cause with the Father and our eternal King, who governs us by His Word and Spirit, and who guards us and keeps us in the freedom He has won for us. Amen. gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer. There is no one forever now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom. My steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I
follow Jesus For he has said that he would bring me home And day by day I know he will Until I stand with joy before the throne To this I we have the victory and in Christ we are able to go to the Father with the petitions of our hearts and that's what we'll do now if you would pray with me loving Father we need your guidance and your strength each and every day may we be those who trust you and rely upon your sovereign care we come to you today in a time when many are in a state of confusion and conflict And we pray that our confidence, that you would prevail, that our confidence would be in you, and that we would rest in you. We also pray that we would be a congregation that puts your word into practice. Give us the ability to love each other and to show love and kindness, even to those who treat us poorly. Lord, we think back on our week, and we confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We acknowledge our need and depend on you afresh for strength. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from our iniquity and that in him we always have a fresh start. Lord, we pray for specific concerns in our church family. We pray again for Dean Gray and now the passing of his sister. And Lord, we pray for Dean and Jessica as it's been a very difficult year. May we as a church family love them well and support them. And may you give Dean the strength that he needs. Lord, we also continue to pray for Mike Ryan's father, who recently had a health scare. We pray that you would strengthen him and heal him, and that he would be well soon. Lord, in that vein, we pray for Susan Johnson's father, David McEwen. I pray that after a recent heart attack, that you would bring him comfort, and that he would take refuge in you. And be with Rob and Susan as they care for him. Now, Lord, we pray for our church family. Help us to be united under your authority and help us, as I said at the outset, to stay on mission and to not lose focus in this time, but to really uh, be fully committed to you. And, Lord, many of us feel weak in these times and help us to be ever mindful that when we're weak, we can rely on you as you're our strength, and we pray that your glory and your majesty would be manifest in our weakness. 
And Lord, as we turn to your word now, I pray that you would penetrate our hearts and conform us into the likeness of the Lord Jesus. As we study this sermon on the plain, may we see that the call, what a call to true discipleship looks like. May we live it out. May we not only be hearers of your word, but doers of your will. Lord, I pray for Randy. Randy Nichols has been such a, a pillar of our community, and thank you for how you've used him in uh, the lives of so many of us. Be with him as he brings your word today. We focus our minds and our hearts on what you want, uh, what you want us to do now. In Christ's name, amen. If you would please, at home, even in your living room or wherever you're watching this, as is what we like to do here is to stand in honor of God's word, and I'll be reading from Luke chapter 6 from verse 37. Again, the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus is speaking. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take that speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Thank you for honoring God's word. Thank you, Austin. It's great being with everyone this morning, even if it's through video. And... Uh, we wish you the best this morning. Austin said a few minutes ago that um, when he started our service, that reading through Luke 6 the last few weeks has been uh, meaningful to him. You know, when you prepare to preach, it's almost sad when it's over. It's like you have a new friend. His uh, last few weeks, I've been thinking about this passage. I want to start us off this morning by sharing a story with you. And it's a story I read on the Internet, so you know it has to be true. And so, because nothing on the internet would be false, I want to start off by telling you a story of a young woman. And this woman had just graduated from university, was a few years out, was living on her own, thinking that everything was going great, got a job in her major, was dating, and, and things started to unravel. She didn't get the promotion. In fact, her, her salary was frozen for the next few years. And then... Her roommate got a job out of town and had to leave, and so she's struggling to make ends meet, paying her lease on this apartment. And then finally, her boyfriend of many years from university breaks it off and ends the relationship. And as this young gal sits there, waiting and considering and pondering life, she gets a text. And the text says, I am here for you. Well, she is relieved and thankful for this friend who has sent this text. And so she sits down and 
as only a 20-year-old girl can do. Her fingers are flying on her keyboard of her phone and sends the longest text she's ever written, explaining how she's feeling in her heart and all the issues that she's been dealing with. And she feels so much better, and she's waiting for this reply of someone who can relate and be kind to her. And a minute or two later, the text comes back. And the text says, I am your Uber driver, and I'm waiting for you. Well, sometimes we can misunderstand things that are written to us. And as I prepared for this today, it was interesting. Two or three of the commentators wrote that this is one of the most misunderstood scriptures in the Gospels and in the New Testament. And we can read this just like she did and think we understand. What is Jesus really saying through Luke to us today? I want us to start off by looking at the context of this. What is before in Luke 6 and what is after the passage that Austin read for us today that we can get a handle on what this is about? Throughout Luke 6, Luke is dealing with, or Jesus is dealing with two groups of people. The first group is an elite legalistic They follow and know the law, but they've missed the heart. They don't understand the concepts of grace and mercy. The other people are more focused on relationship. They have each other, and they know they need grace and mercy. They understand their need. Luke 6 starts off in verses 1 to 10 with two incidences where Jesus interacts with the Pharisees. The first, the disciples are walking through a field and the disciples are plucking heads off the grain and rubbing it in their hands. And they would take that grain and get the kernel and put the kernel in their mouth. And the Pharisees are upset because they're threshing, they're threshing wheat. And that's work on the Sabbath. After that, Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees is is this, on the Sabbath, Jesus heals a man whose hand has been withered on the Sabbath day. And of course, they're furious. And so, you see this interaction that's happening. After the passage that we read today, there's two instances where Jesus talks about two things. One, he talks about a good tree and a bad tree, and how we recognize them by their fruit. And after that, he talks about a wise and a foolish builder. Do you see the con- there's a, a comparison and a contrast going on throughout this chapter of these two groups of people? And then in Luke 6:36, just before the passage that Austin read, the very first before, um, it says this: "Be merciful, even as our Father is merciful." to be like God, to show mercy as God shows mercy. We're going to come back to that verse, but I want you to remember Luke 6, 36, because I'm going to refer back to that in a few minutes. So let's go back to our passage now. Verses 37 and 38 says this, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, Shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. 
with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You know what? It sounds interesting, doesn't it? This passage sounds like if we just don't judge, if I don't judge others, God won't judge me. And, and if I forgive others, well, then God has to forgive me. It almost sounds a little bit like karma, doesn't it? If I do the right things, good will come back to me. And, and it sounds like, okay, if I don't condemn, or if I give, I will get back in return. But it's interesting. It begins to have us a flavor of it's up to us and our efforts. If I forgive, then I have to be forgiven. I will be forgiven. If I don't judge, I will not be judged. It's interesting to me, by the way, this passage is one that people that don't follow Jesus often quote. If you're just kind and peaceful with each other, everything will be great. Don't judge. Is that what this is about? You know, it's interesting. It talks about it almost sounds like it depends on our efforts. This passage depends on our efforts. Let me ask you a question. Is that the gospel? Is the gospel that it depends on our effort, our ability? The gospel, the good news is anything but that. It does not depend on our effort. It is on God's effort. It's on our ability to have faith and surrender. He does the work. It's up to him, not on us. So what is this all about? 500 years ago, just, just over 500 years ago, the Protestant Reformation took place. And part of the thing that the Protestant Reformation is known for are the five solaces, or the five uh, solo or alone, the five things that stand alone. We'll talk about three of those in a minute. But how do those deal with this situation? The first is this, sola fide, by faith alone. It's not by works. It's not by our merit. We don't earn it. It's by faith in who God is and what he has done. And so it's not something we earn. It's not a works theology. Sola gratia, by grace alone. It's only through God's gift to us. It's not by our effort. Solus Christus, or solo Christo, by Christ alone, or through Christ alone. In other words, it does not depend on our efforts or on our ability, but on Jesus and on Jesus alone. In Christ alone. And as I said, verse 37 and 38 can begin to sound like karma. So, but when we forgive and we do not condemn, we are living as Jesus did. We are doing what Christ has done. We don't earn God's favor. The reason that we forgive, the reason we don't judge, and the reason we don't condemn is because we have had God's favor. God has not condemned and not judged us, and he has forgiven us through Christ, and that is why we live differently. The reason we do these things is because we live differently in response to God. The key for me on this was the passage of 1 John 4.19. It really helped me understand this, and it says this, 
We love because he first loved us. And in light of this, why do we not judge? Because Jesus has not judged us. He would find us guilty. We do not condemn because he has not condemned us. We forgive because he has forgiven us in Christ. Remember I said Luke 6:36? Luke 6:30 Excuse me, Luke 6:36 says this. Be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. We do these things not for some work salvation but because it shows who we really are. Whose we really are. If we know what Jesus has done, then we do the same. If we've received grace, we live differently. If we've received God's mercy, we can no longer be Pharisees. If we receive God's grace and mercy, we don't judge, we don't condemn, and we offer forgiveness. By the way, what does it mean to judge? I mean, we make judgments every day, don't we? We, we judge uh, do, is this a job that I'd like to pursue? Are these the kind of kids I want my children to hang out with? Or, or is this somebody I really want to confide in and the secrets of my life? Is, we make all kinds of judgments every single day. So what is this saying? I think this is talking about judgments of condemnation. About the fact that only God makes those judgments. Only God makes the judgments of where people spend eternity. That is not ours to make. That is his and his alone. Don't become their judge. What measure do we get? I love that. A good measure. And then it says this, pressed down, shaken, and flowing over. You know, um, I love this passage, this idea. Press down. What does that mean? Every guy here knows what that means. Have you ever gone to the kitchen, opened the, the drawer, and there's the kitchen garbage can? You can always get more in it, always. If you just press it down, there's more that will go. That's what this is saying. Press down, there's more. Can we get more in it? Shaken together. We've shaken it so that it settles and we can get more in. It's overflowing. You know, the real point to this is that God is generous. God is a giver. And mostly in his son. But God gives good gifts and God is generous. So should we not be generous? A friend of mine is a guy I've gotten to know in the last year, year and a half. His name is John. And John's a retired Marine. He was an officer in Marine, spent most of his career in Washington working on the Hill. And, um, John works with a lot of men, and he talked to me before about one of the things he teaches men is how to protect their hearts. And he said, three things I teach men, is, and there are three things about give. And this may sound like a stretch, I know, but the first is thanksgive, thanksgiving. When we're thankful people, we, we no longer look around and say, gosh, why is that not mine? Why does Ian have such a great voice? I should have that. Why do we have... We be, instead of looking at things that way, we're thankful. And we become content. And it protects our hearts. Second, we forgive. And when we forgive, even if people do not ask for our forgiveness, even if they do not want our forgiveness, when we forgive, we no longer fight with bitterness. 
and bitterness will tear apart our heart. And so we forgive. We're thanksgiving, we forgive, and the last is easy, it's give. And when we give of our time, talent, and treasure to the Lord and to others, they no longer, those things no longer possess us. There's possessions don't possess us. They're not ours. We freely give them. God is generous, and we are, should be generous as well. He gives in abundance. We should give in abundance. Wouldn't it be incredible if this church was known as a generous church? Those people are generous because the Lord is generous. Truth be told that when we live as followers of Jesus, we live differently, and we are blessed. And then some of you are now thinking, oh, is this a prosperity gospel that we're blessed? No, it's not. But think, when you follow Jesus, what we have, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, are these not things we desire in our lives? As we follow Jesus, those are ours. If there's anyone that should be joyful in this world, it is us. God gives us a purpose. He gives us friends that stick closer than brothers. God has blessed us. He says when we sow sparingly, we reap sparingly. And when we sow generously, we reap generously. You know, um, and again... When we generously bless and think about ways to bless those that live around us in our neighborhoods or that work with us, is it any surprise that opportunities to love them for Christ come back? May we be people that are generous. And then Jesus says this. He told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they both not Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. In Luke 6, 12 to 13, just a few verses above what we just looked at today, Jesus goes up on a mountain and prays all night, and he calls his disciples. And then he brings his disciples, and they begin to walk with him and follow him. Now in verses uh, 39 to 40, Jesus is now, I think, showing those disciples what spiritual leadership is about. What does it mean to be a spiritual leader? And Jesus continues to compare the two groups that I talked about earlier. There's spiritual leaders and there's legalistic Pharisees. In verse 39, the blind leading the blind. You know, and I, I kept thinking about this, and by the way, the idea... Uh, of sticking out it. the word I think is really log but this idea of, of a giant uh, piece of woods coming out of your eye I mean how, how crazy is that but this idea of the blind leading the blind to me it seems almost like a Monty Python sketch and I could see it actually and what how humorous that might be but who is Jesus talking about who are these blind Matthew 15, verse 12, the disciples came to him and asked, do you know what the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And Jesus replied, every plant 
that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Who are the blind? The Pharisees. And he's saying they are leading the blind. Um, the Pharisees knew the scriptures. They understood the truth. And they knew the law inside and out. But they missed Jesus. They missed Jesus. Leadership is not ruling over someone. It is not self-proclaimed. It is not necessarily just a, a title. It is not condescending. So what is leadership? In verse 40, in, uh, is verse 40 starts off, it says, um, I'm sorry, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. A disciple becomes like their teacher. There is an example, there is modeling that is taking place. There is a relationship between the teacher and the, and the student. So there's relationship. There's modeling. There, there's someone who leads us by example. Leadership is not just informational. It's not just passing on information. It's transformational. The, the Pharisees were great at information. But it's transformation of our lives that take place. When Paul summarizes leadership to me in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. That's leadership. One of my favorite um, authors over many years, um, he's got these incredible biographies if you've not read them, is Chuck Swindoll. And I looked at Chuck Swindoll's um, commentary on this verse and I loved what he said this is what he said leaders in God's kingdom lead others by their own discipleship unlike teachers in the world who stand before their followers facing them on the basis of their own authority leaders in Christ's kingdom lead with their backs to the followers in submission to and in steadfast pursuit of the teacher In verse 41 to 42, we're looking at the idea of the speck, as I mentioned, the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, and pay no attention to the plank in your own. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own? You hypocrites, first take the plank out of your eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brothers. This hyperbole is quite funny, isn't it? The idea of a log or a plank sticking out quite imaginative and thinking what that would look like just a couple quick things on this verse we need to first deal with the sin in our lives it's easy to find faults in others it's easy to recognize them and it is so much harder and so much more work to identify those in our own we need to do the hard work we need to see the specs that we need to deal with second if we truly love people, we need to take them to the eye surgeon who knows how to remove splinters and planks and logs and specks. And that's Jesus himself. We have no ability to fix people. Only Christ does that. Remember I said Jesus is comparing two kinds of people, 
The first group would be described as legalistic, unbending, judgmental, condemning, unforgiving, hypocritical, and authoritative. Group two are generous, forgiving, merciful, full of grace, relational, humble, thankful, and submissive. One is religion, and the other is a follower of Jesus. One is about us and our power and our prestige. The other is about others and Jesus' power. Do you live differently because you follow Jesus? If we ask the people that you interacted with in the last week, would they know there's something different about you? I want to end today with John 1.14, where it says that Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. See, the truth and the law is what the Pharisees were all about, but they lacked the grace. But what about someone who is full of grace and lacks truth? They're nice, they're kind, but they have no foundation to what they believe. How do we get this balance right? I'm fearful that I think what we do, and I'm speaking for myself now, is what we do is we become partially gracious and partially truthful. I'm kind enough that people like us, and I'm truthful enough that I don't offend. But Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. He wasn't partial. Like the woman caught in adultery, he told her, has no one condemned you? Neither do I condemn you. He was full of grace. But go now and leave your life of sin. He was truthful. May we learn this balance. If there's any listening today, then maybe you do not know Jesus. You've never embraced his love, his grace, and his mercy. See, God's calling you to be part of that second group of people, to walk with him. Would you consider that today? Would you consider that it's not about your efforts, but it's about what he has done? What he's done on the cross for you and for me. As I close in prayer, maybe it would be a good time for you to pray and ask God to receive this gift that he has given you. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful. We are thankful that you have done so much for us. Lord, I thank you that you are the example, that we would be like you, full of mercy, full of grace, full of truth. Lord, make us different, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. Make us followers of you. Lord, I pray for any today who are considering this, and maybe they're considering what would it mean to be a follower of Jesus. May they just say that they have decided that they want to know you. They want to follow you. Lord, pray that they would make that decision today to ask you to take over, that they would surrender. Lord, I thank you. In your son's name, amen.
Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fallen as a God in help is me. This gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he keeps to save. Till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Me home 
your armor on hear the call of Christ our captain for now the weak can see that we are strong in the strength God is given with a shield of faith and belt of truth we'll stand against the devil's lies an army bold battle cry is love reaching out to those in darkness our call to war to love the captive soul but to reach against the captor and with a sword that makes the wounded whole we will fight faith and valor when faced with trials on every side we know the outcome is secure christ will have the price for which he died in an Uh 
church may we arise and be strong in the grace thank you randy for that reminder that uh, faithful proclamation of god's word to be strong in the grace how easy it is to cast that judgmental eye and be critical instead of delighting in the lord's grace to see what he's done in jesus and to rest in him and uh, push that mission forward as the writer of the hebrews says let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the help in the time of need. May we rely on God's grace and pass that on to others. Now, unto him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence, faultless and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, honor, dominion, and authority for all the ages. Amen. <laughs> 